Good morning, everyone. You all right? It's nice to see you all in here. I don't know if you noticed, but the wind is not whipping yet. Yet. We'll see what happens by the end of the service, right? You never know. Acts 2. It could happen. But the wind is not blowing. The, the, the sun is not blaring down. Daniel wants the wind to... What's that? Oh, we need to be in the upper room. Oh, okay. So it's not going to happen down here. Tell me we, we got the formula wrong. Okay. Anyway, it's good to be inside. Excited to see, with, see you all inside. I'm, as Kiana said, it's great to hear people worship around you. Isn't that great? To, to know you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, but at the end of the day, we want to point out that this uh, building is just a building. We don't believe that there's anything more holy or special about this space than we found out in the parking lot. Um, we just found a new place to worship. Uh, and what we've learned over the last year and a half or so of being in the parking lot is that that's holy ground out there. That wherever the Holy Spirit is and wherever there are a group of people gathered in his name, that's where he's at. And so it doesn't really matter too much. And that gives me great confidence and courage because we're only going to be in here for about an hour and a half today, right? And then we're all going to leave. And what's going to happen when we leave? This will be an empty building that God will still hold together by his presence. But he goes with us into our lives. And we want to live with an awareness of his presence. You know, this is a, a bonus. This is not in my notes. But yesterday, we gathered with a few people in this room for improv lessons. Anybody reading through the, the, the improv lessons plan? If you haven't come to the Saturday morning study yet, I'm just telling you, you're missing out. It's a lot of fun. We have a great time together. I know it's early, but it's worth it. And yesterday, we talked about what it means to orient our lives around the presence of God. That's what we see in the book of Numbers. We see this camp that's built around the presence of God. And when the cloud moves, they move. And when the cloud stays, they stay. And that's what we want to be. Is that kind of a people? We believe that as we're gathered here, we're gathered in his presence and he's with us right now. Not just in a generic way that he's sort of everywhere, but specifically. A friend of mine calls it God's particular presence in this moment. And we believe that particular presence isn't just a Sunday thing, isn't just for us all together, but that God goes with us and that he's at work in our lives and our families. And the best thing we can do is orient our lives around his presence. Develop habits and patterns to remind us to stop and pay attention to who he is and what he's doing in our lives. He's at work all the time, in every circumstance, bringing his kingdom. And he wants to do it through you. And you're going to be a part of that. So today we gather in this place to remember, oh yeah, I know what life's all about. <laughs> life's all about his presence. Life's all about being up to my father's business. It's about being sensitive to who he is. And we gather today in this place and remember that, so we can go out from here with that, with that knowledge and that understanding. So all that to say, it's good to worship with you today. But this is the beginning, though, of a journey. This is the beginning of a week. Let's take it from here. All right. We are in Acts chapter 3. Um, we, last week we talked about this sort of fantastic, extraordinary healing where there's a man who was born lame. We read that he was 40 years old in his 40s. He was born lame. He'd never walked before. And uh, Peter and John come across him begging outside the temple courts. You guys remember the story. He's asking for money. They say, we don't have any money, but what we have, we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man, they take him by the hand. They lift him up, and he walks. He leaps, actually, dances into the temple courts for the first time in his life. Pretty astounding when you think about it. This is a man who'd never walked. He didn't know how to walk. Like, conceptually, he'd never learned. He didn't have the muscle mass to be able to walk. This miracle is nothing less than an act of creation. God is creating synapses. He's creating muscles. He's creating nerve endings on the spot. It's really, really remarkable. 
And the, the, the remarkable part about it is this man had been sitting outside the temple gates his entire life. He was a fixture in the community. People were used to seeing him. So when suddenly he's not laying on the ground anymore asking for money, but he's leaping, and I would imagine yelling, because wouldn't you, screaming at the top of his lungs, singing, dancing, you know, people are starting to say, wait a minute. First of all, it's weird that anybody would do that. But second of all, I know that guy. He can't do that. <laughs> like he's been laying, and was he tricking us? What's going on? And so the crowd gathers around, and they're asking the question that all of us would have asked. What happened? What just happened? And Peter and John take the opportunity to share the gospel. And we're going to talk about what Peter has to say. Uh, specifically, Peter takes the lead here. Um, but before we do that, I just want to point out that signs and wonders throughout the book of Acts are really important. They happen over and over and over again. And always, always, for the sake of empowering and confirming the gospel message, they always create an opportunity for Jesus to be announced. For his kingdom to be announced. So the miracle itself is never just about the, the, the miracle. It's never just about the person. It is an extraordinary act of compassion that Jesus has on this man. And his life is transformed in a moment. But we learned last week that Jesus is always up to more, isn't he? The man wanted money. But Peter and John knew that Jesus was up to more. He was up to healing. But Jesus was still up to more. He wanted an opportunity for everyone there today to hear the gospel. By the end of this, as we'll see in the passage here in just a second, by the end of this, thousands more people come into the church. But Jesus was still up to more, as we'll even read last, or next week. We'll see what happens after this story. This story is really, really pivotal. And it demonstrates this idea that signs and wonders are important in the body of Christ. Because they open the door for gospel preaching. And I just want to say... We need more of this. This was not just a book of Acts kind of thing. Guys, we're living in a post-Christian context. And what does that mean? That means everyone has heard the story. And for the most part, they're over it. Okay? We're realizing for the first time in the history of our nation that more people are not attending church than are. Did you realize that? For the first time in over 200 years. More people identify as uh, non-Christian or not religious in any affiliation than, than ever before. What, what does that tell us? That we're not gaining ground, we're losing ground. The church of Jesus Christ was not designed to lose ground. The kingdom of God is breaking out. We read by the end that the kingdom of God overtakes the kingdoms of this world. And one of the ways we see that happening in the book of Acts is through signs and wonders. As they step out in his name and in his power, they ask for him to intervene in miraculous ways, in supernatural ways as his spirit, his kingdom, breaks into their ordinary and changes things. And I want to suggest that church, in a post-Christian context where everyone's heard the story and no one's interested, we need to ask again for signs and wonders to empower and confirm the gospel message. This is not the only way. But it is a way. When God breaks in and changes something that people thought was unchangeable, a man laying on the ground for 40 years is unchangeable. When God breaks in and says, nah, there's no such thing as hopeless, then people wake up. Then people say, maybe there's more to this story that I just ignored and discounted. Maybe I need to pay attention. And church, I... As I say these words, I'm personally convicted because I don't often stop and ask for signs and wonders. 
I just don't. Part of it's, um, I suppose, a lack of faith. Part of it's a fear of being looked at as weird, you know? Part of it's, you know, the, 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 we don't want to be that kind of church that just goes after, that's just chasing the Holy Spirit, like the miraculous stuff all the time. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. That's all we want to do. We want to be up to whatever he's up to. And we know, we know that he has the power to do whatever he wants, don't we? Like, we know that. Intellectually. So then why don't we ask? Like, on every occasion. And whether he chooses to answer those prayers or not is not our problem. That's up to him. If he chooses in a moment to do the thing we're asking or if he chooses to do something else miraculous. Or if he chooses to seemingly, from our perspective, do nothing. Let me tell you, Jesus is never doing nothing. Well, why don't we ask? You know, the book of James. James says, you have not because you ask not. And church, I want to stand up in front of you as a pastor in this community and say, I want this community to be defined by asking for signs and wonders. By being expectant when we do. That God can do whatever he wants to do. And why do I want to do that? Not so we can pat ourselves on the back. Not so we can say, oh, isn't that so cool? But so that the world will know. I've got this prayer for our neighborhood that comes out of the book of Habakkuk. That this neighborhood, Westside Costa Mesa, would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as water covers the seas. And one of the ways that's going to happen is as his church in this neighborhood gets active and expectant. Asking for him to move in miraculous ways, in normal, ordinary ways. I don't care. Just God, move in us. What if we just blew up the box that we put him in and said, do whatever you want. Here we are. And we're going to take crazy risks. And we're going we're to ask for things that make us look dumb if they don't come true. But, 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 but we're going to trust that you're good in all seasons. Signs and wonders empower the gospel, and we need more of them. Because I think it's gonna, that's what it's going to take. Again, not exclusively. It's also going to take a church that's serious about justice and the poor. It's also going to take a church that's serious about holiness and obedience to Jesus. It's also going to take a church that is, that is repentant of the ways that we've missed the mark. There's a lot of things that reaching a post-Christian culture is going to take. But one of them, I'm convinced, is more signs and wonders. It's almost like we have a blank slate here. Kind of like Jerusalem was at the moment. Where there are people who, it, Jesus is not even on their minds, not even on their radars. And so let's ask so he can be back on their radar. This amazing sign and wonder empowers the gospel message. And this is what Peter says when people are saying, what's going on? Listen to what he says. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running. You hear that? They came running. Nobody dragged them to church. Nobody said, hey. You should come over and see what happened. Really, I'll, like, I'll buy you lunch afterwards if you do. No, no. God's at work. They came running. When God's at work, people run. They came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? <laughs> why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, 
but God has raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that's completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the people of the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. All right. It's a powerful passage, this sermon that Peter preaches. And it's, um, it's, uh, that was a lot of peas in that sentence, wasn't it? <laughs> powerful passage that Peter preached. Say that four times. Okay. Um, that wasn't in the notes. That was just a freebie. It just happened. Okay. Um, this is a, it's a, it's sort of a master class on how to preach the gospel. It really is. Peter, which is astounding. I mean, this guy that a couple months earlier was pretty, pretty unimpressive now stands up and for the second time delivers like the classic gospel message. And today I want to, I kind of want to walk through and unpack what he does. Like what are the elements of a good gospel sermon? And the reason I want to do this, you might be out there thinking I'm never going to preach a sermon in my life. Why would I, why would I care about how to preach a good gospel sermon? Um, because we need to preach it to ourselves every day. Okay? I am convinced, Christians, that we need to develop habits in our life of preaching the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis. See, I grew up in a context where I thought that the gospel was like a one-time deal. That you sort of hear the gospel message, and the gospel becomes the gateway into the, life of, into the Christian life. It's like a doorway in. And, and, and the reason for that is because I, I grew up thinking that the gospel was the cross. Okay, and, and that's, we're going to talk about this here in just a second, but it's this kind of reductive view. The gospel, as I heard it as a kid, was Jesus came and died for my sins, so that if I received him as my Lord and Savior, mostly Savior, not so much Lord, but if I received him as my Savior, then I could go to heaven when I die. That's the gospel I grew up hearing. That sound about right? Sound familiar? Okay, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Like everything I just said is actually true, but it's only part of the truth. It's only part of the gospel. And if you have that sort of a gospel, then that reality becomes a gateway into the Christian life and, and eventually to heaven when I die. Okay, But it ignores a whole lot of other stuff. The gospel is not the gateway into the Christian life. It is the Christian life. I know it's Christianity 101, this idea here of the cross and the resurrection. But the truth is that's not just the doorway. That's the road we walk. We never really graduate from Christianity 101. You live in that every day. And every serious follower of Jesus needs to develop habits in their life of preaching the gospel to themselves when they wake up in the morning and when they're going throughout their day and when they end their day. 
And so I want to walk through what that means, not just for those of you who might teach it someday, although I hope that each of you finds a context in which to teach this to someone else. But so you have something to say to yourself when you wake up tomorrow morning. Here are the four elements of gospel teaching. The first one is this, a vision of Jesus. Peter starts with this stunning vision of Jesus that in this context is fairly, um, uh, it comes across fairly abrasive to us hearing it. He's saying, you killed this person. You missed this person. You did this. But the, the language he uses is really important. Peter does talk about the crucified Jesus. He calls him God's servant. God has glorified his servant, Jesus. God has glorified his servant, Jesus. That language is out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, where there's a, a, a mysterious figure who pops up in the book of Isaiah that's called the servant of the Lord. And this servant is one who's described as a suffering servant. It says he will be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. It says the Lord will lay upon him the punishment of us all. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we will be healed. It's this really remarkable character, this suffering servant. And here, Peter uses this language on purpose. It takes us right back to the Old Testament. And it says, this servant, Jesus, is the one who's come to us. And he suffered, and, and we'll get to this in just a second, and his suffering was at your hands. In other words, you were on the wrong side of the prophetic message. This verse, this passage you've been studying your entire lives, you missed it. And it was actually you who inflicted the suffering. It's possible to read the Bible your whole life and miss it. Here they missed Jesus, God's suffering servant. And as a result, put him on the cross. Paul said, you crucified the holy and righteous one. This is also Old Testament language referring to the Day of Atonement, where there would be a lamb taken without blemish or spot, clean, pure, and righteous. And the high priest would place his hand upon the lamb's head and confess the sins of Israel over it. And that lamb would end up being killed for the sins of the people. You crucified the holy and righteous one. So Peter is giving them a very clear vision of Jesus as a sacrificial lamb, the one whose blood makes atonement for our sins, the servant by whose suffering we will all be healed. And we have to have this element in our gospel preaching. I know a second ago I said that's not the whole story, but it's a massive part of the story, that Jesus came and did for us what we could not do. The holy and righteous one came to us and gave himself for us so that we might be holy and righteous. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. This idea is central to all gospel preaching. Okay? It's a really simple picture that, that Paul gives us there. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that we and become the righteousness of God. See? In a way that's mysterious and, and difficult to wrap our heads around, God sacrificed himself for us to remove the thing that was between us and him, the sin that separated us. And, and I grew up, again, I grew up hearing that our sin separates us from God. In other words, the way I heard that was God is angry with us because of our sin. And when we sin, he leaves the room. That's just not the case, though, is it? 
I mean, the, the picture here is clear. The picture here is we left the room. And while we were far off, God came to us and made a way for us to come back. The holy and righteous one, the suffering servant, has now opened the door. The cross is a massive part of this vision of the gospel. But it's not the whole of it. Peter also calls him the author of life. Not just death. Hey, let's get this really clear, friends. Jesus didn't just get dying right. He also knows how to live pretty well. And when he showed up on the scene, he demonstrated what life could look like. Life lived in relationship with God by the power of the Spirit for the restoration of all things. He showed us what that could look like. He demonstrated the life we were all made to live. He was the first real human being. You guys know that? Adam and Eve were created to fill the earth with the image of God, to display God's glory, his greatness, his love to all of creation. And they and all of us have forsaken that vocation. We've forgotten how to do it. And Jesus came along and said, here, let me show you what it looks like. The first real human. The Bible talks about him as the new Adam. The new Israel. Who does what God asked us to do. Who displays the goodness of God. The author of life. You want to see what life is supposed to look like? Look at him. My friends, if you haven't spent time looking at Jesus recently, just open up a gospel and read. Just read by the power of the Spirit and see how you were made to live. The author of life. But it's not just the author of life on the front end. It's also the author of life after death. You crucified, you killed the author of life, which there's a, a, a really difficult irony there. On one hand, you, you opposed life. You tried to kill life. The, the irony, though, is you can't. You cannot kill the author of life because God raises him from the dead. You can't, you can't stop this life. And now that he is raised from the dead... He extends an offer to all of us to follow him into this new kind of life. You see, it's not just look at Jesus and try to do the stuff he did by your own efforts. It's Jesus is risen and now sends you the power of the Spirit to resurrect you alongside him. In front of the watching world, you can live into his kingdom now. The author of life is extending life to us even now. And you see, that's where the problem of reducing the gospel comes in. So when we reduce the gospel just down to the death of Jesus, then it's just about death, the whole thing. He died for my sins so that when I die, I can go to heaven. But we skipped the whole life part. No, no, no. He died for our sins so that we can enter into his kingdom here and now. And heaven will be part of that journey. Another conversation for another day, not the end of that journey, by the way. Resurrection is the end of that journey. If we can talk about that journey having an end at all, because you can't kill the author of life, can you? But you see, if it's just about death, then it's just about death, and it's not. He came to empower us into how to live now. He's the author of life. The gospel begins with Jesus, a whole picture of Jesus. You know, when Jesus sends his disciples out in Matthew 28, he says to him, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Whenever I preached the Great Commission back in the day, I used to start with go. 
I missed the therefore that ties it to the verse before it, which is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I used to think that was just Jesus telling them to sit down and be quiet, you know? It it was him saying, this is who I am. Listen up. Here's my credentials. This is why you need to listen to me. I'm in charge. That's not what he's saying. He told them to go and make disciples. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me is the content of the message they're supposed to deliver. There's a new king, is what he's saying. And that is the gospel. The gospel is, through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and now providing the Holy Spirit, there's a new king, and you can live in his kingdom now. And fully someday. That's the gospel. And it's huge. It's expansive. It incorporates all of our lives. Not just Sundays. Not just a a one-time prayer that I prayed, but my whole life. I, do you, I can live in the kingdom of God now? The king is on the throne and has invited me to be a part of what he's up to and provides me with the resources of his kingdom? That's what this miracle is all about, you see. This miracle, the explanation that Peter gives here, he's saying the curse of sin and death is being repealed in front of your eyes. This man's body was affected by sin. Not his own sin, just the sin in the world. And the kingdom of God just broke out in his body. And that curse is being reversed right in front of your eyes. And you can live in that too. You can live in the reversal of the curse. How powerful is that? I love the way C.S. Lewis puts this in the Chronicles of Narnia. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. That's the gospel right there. He's making all things new. Now, what comes next? Part two of all gospel preaching conviction of sin and Peter says that's the truth and you missed it you missed it he was right in front of you he showed up in front of you and you killed him now he wouldn't say the same thing to us he's not being metaphorical here he's literally talking to the people that voted to crucify Jesus this is not metaphorical this is actual you actually did this he would say something different to us today To me today, he would point out all the many ways that I miss Jesus on a regular basis. Whether it's intentionally through willful disobedience or unintentionally through coping mechanisms that I've learned to develop, to to navigate my way in the old kingdoms. He would come to us and say, look, you're missing him. The kingdom is breaking out in front of you. And you would rather settle for less Then he's extending to you. It's a hard message, isn't it? Because it hits, I know it hits me. As I was prepping this, as I wrote these words this week, it hit me. Yeah, that's me. The kingdom of the heavens is breaking out right in front of me. God is refreshing. I love that. The times of refreshing of our God. He is refreshing the world in this moment. And I would rather settle for the old 
He's adopting us into our family, and I'd rather go back to my orphan life. We all do it. Peter here says, no, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. I know we don't like to talk about sin in this modern day and age. It's not cool. Because there's, everybody has their own truth. And when everybody has your own truth, there's no absolute right or wrong. So people don't like to talk about sin anymore. But my friends, if we don't talk about sin, we cannot receive the gospel. Because receiving the gospel begins at the end of ourselves. It begins when we realize that we have nothing to commend us to God. That we come to him empty-handed and broken. And the only thing we can do is fall on our knees and cry out, Father, Father, forgive me. You know, I, I just, I'm so moved by the story of the prodigal son. I love that story so much. And so much of it is the picture we see of God. You know, that, that, that vision of this old man standing up on his porch and running down the road to his son. So powerful and compelling and I think changes all, all of our views of God. God's not waiting for us to get to him. He's running to us. But, but, the story would have never happened if the prodigal son wouldn't have gotten tired of eating pig slop. At some point, he had to say, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous when you consider what's happening in my father's presence. That's what Peter's saying here. This is ridiculous when you think about who he is. The holy and righteous one and you killed him? The author of life and you tried to put him in the grave? It's ridiculous. But, point three... <laughs> Most of my life, I grew up hearing that as the, the kind of the core of the thing. You're a dirty, dirty sinner. You need to confess. You need to repent. But nobody really told me why that was a big deal. And the third element of gospel preaching is this. It's an affirmation of identity. Look, if we convict people of sin without explaining why it's a problem, then we're, we're really doing some damage. If all we tell people is they're lousy and worthless and they failed God over and over again, but we don't tell them that the reason that's important is that they were made for more than this, then we're missing out. That's what Peter says here. He says, you're the people of the promise. God gave you the prophets. He gave you the covenant. He promised to bless the world through you. That's why you're missing it is such a big deal. That's why your sin is such a big deal because you were made for more than this. And we have to tell people that. We have to tell ourselves that. The message you should walk out with today is not, I'm a filthy, filthy sinner, but I am made in the image of God. Created to fill the earth with his glory. He loves me. Do you know that? God so loved the world. But because of his great love for us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the message. The message is Jesus considered you worthy of his life. That he came to you. The message is he believes that you have what it takes to follow him. To live life in his kingdom. And so that's where the conviction of sin thing begins to make sense. It's not you're a bad person. It's you're made for more than this. That's different, isn't it? It's you are a child of God. Now, act like it. That's really different. And we've got to start there. 
Don't forget who you are. Live like who you are. And that's where the fourth piece of gospel preaching comes in. It's an opportunity to start all over. An opportunity to turn around. Peter says to the people who killed Jesus, if there's anybody that deserves to have the hammer dropped on him, it's these people. And he says, repent. You can start again. That the author of life is still alive. That God has glorified this Jesus. He has exalted him. He is reigning above the heavens. And now, his first act as king is to extend forgiveness to those who missed it. Amnesty to everyone who crucified him. Repent. Turn around. That's what repent means. It doesn't mean feel really, really bad. It means turn around. It means you're going this way, and that way is inconsistent with who you are. And if you keep going this way, you're going to miss him entirely and end up somewhere you don't want to be. So, turn and go the other way. The kingdom is happening here. The king is going this way. Repent. Turn around. It's joyful repentances. It's not, it's not sorrowful. I mean, there's a conviction of sin. There, is a, there has to be a sense of I've done something wrong, but it's joyful to enter into this time of refreshing of our God. That's what gospel preaching is, and I think we need to learn how to do that for the sake of the world and for the sake of ourselves. So what does it look like for you to start every day with a vision of Jesus, a confession of your sin? But not just I'm awful, but I know who I am, and that's who I want to be. Help me to become more of who I am. Here at Canopy, we call that learning to live free. And finally, the ways I've missed you, I don't want to miss you again. I want to turn around and head a new direction. And I'm just so moved by this story for a variety of reasons. Um, most important reason is I, I, I was asking myself this week, how did Peter learn how to preach like this? You know? And I know the answer that we're supposed to give is the Holy Spirit. Like, in the moment, the Holy Spirit speaking through him. And that's true. I believe that. I believe that. But I think Peter learned it in John 21. You guys remember? It's shortly after Jesus had risen from the dead. Shortly after Peter had denied him three times. And Jesus met with him on the seashore. And they had a meal of fish together. Remember that? If you haven't read it recently, read John 21. It won't take you long. And Jesus walked Peter through this process. He sat him down, gave him a vision of himself resurrected that caused Peter to jump out of a boat and swim to Jesus. My Lord, my Savior, the risen one. And then he deals with him at a heart level. Peter, do you love me? Three times he asks him, one for each of his denials. A painful moment where, where Jesus goes after the thing that's keeping Peter from being who he was made to be. The guilt and the shame, he pulls it right out and replaces it with a commission. Feed my sheep. A new reality. Peter learned it from Jesus because that's what Jesus did for him. And my friends, that's what Jesus is doing for all of us right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. We want to take um, some time just to respond in worship uh, and communion today. Uh, we want to take communion together. Um, because as I talk about the
the gospel message. The communion table represents everything I've just talked about, doesn't it? We come to this table, the Lord's Supper, and we catch a vision of Jesus there. Broken, crucified, bloodshed, but also risen and reigning. And in that moment, the Bible says we need to deal with our stuff. Before you come to the table, you deal with your stuff. You have some time by the power of the Spirit to confess the places you've missed, that you've settled for less. And then we arrive at the table. And at the table, we see, you hear the words, this is his body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you. In other words, he considers you worthy of that. He calls you child, beloved. You catch a new vision of yourself at the Lord's table. And then we leave the table repentant, walking the way of the Lord. So we're going to take communion together as a way of responding. If prior to taking communion, I'm going to ask a, a couple people to come up. Mike, if you don't mind coming up over here. and um, Yeah. That's great. When you're ready, you can make your way over. But if you need to pray before you do, that's okay. If you want to pray with someone, we're going to make this real simple. Just before you take communion, if you want to pray with someone about anything we've talked about today or something else entirely, just come down to the front. Nothing special about the front. It's just a step of obedience. It's a step of faith. And just come down to the front. You can stand. You can kneel, whatever you need to do. And someone will meet you here to pray with you. But we'd like to invite you, when you're ready, come to the Lord's table. You can take the, we've got these fancy little cups with the wafer built into the top. You can take it back and take it whenever you're ready. Just spend a few minutes holding it in your hand if you'd like to, praying, spending time with Jesus. And then when you're ready to take it, go ahead and take it yourself. If you want to pray, come on forward now. Kiana and team are going to lead us in some worship as well.